Brothers and sisters, friends and comrades, this is the PRC Show. I am your host, Paul Cooley, and thank you for listening. It is in the 40s-ish in Harrisburg. It is rainy and cold, and it's the last day of November. This is going to be going up in December of 2015. And Christmas time is here. So get that Christmas music out, your tinsel, and your tree up. Okay, here we go. I'm going right into this. In his inaugural remarks on January 1937, in the midst of the Great Depression, Depression, President Roosevelt looked out at the nation, and this is what he saw. He saw tens of millions of its citizens denied the basic necessities of life. He saw millions of families trying to live on income so meager that the pall of family disaster hung over them day by day. He saw millions denied education, recreation, and the opportunity to better their lot and the lot of their children. He saw millions lacking the means to buy the products they needed and by their poverty and lack of disposable income, denying employment to many other millions. He saw one third of the nation ill-housed, ill-cloud, ill-nourished, and he acted against the ferocious opposition of the ruling class of his day, people he called economic royalists. Roosevelt implemented a series of programs that put millions of people back to work. He took them out of poverty and he restored their faith in government. He redefined the relationship of the federal government to the people of our country. He combated cynicism, fear, and despair. He reinvigorated democracy. He transformed the country. And that is what we have to do today. And by the way, almost everything he proposed was called socialist. Social security, which transformed life for the elderly, in this country was socialist. The concept of the minimum wage was seen as a radical intrusion into the marketplace and was described as socialist. Unemployment insurance, abolishing child labor, the 40-hour work week, collective bargaining, strong bank regulations, deposit insurance, and job programs that put millions of people to work were all described in one way or another as socialist. Yet these programs have become the fabric of our nation and the foundation of the middle class. 30 years later in the 1960s, President Johnson passed Medicare and Medicaid to provide health insurance to millions of senior citizens and families with children, persons with disabilities, and some of the most vulnerable people in this country. Once again, these vitally important programs were denied by the right, derided by the right wing as socialist programs that were a threat to our American way of life. That was then, and now is now. Today in 2015, despite the Wall Street crash of 2008, which drove this country into the worst economic downturn since uh, the Great Depression, the American people are clearly better off economically than we were in 1937. But here's the very hard truth that we must acknowledge and address. Despite a huge increase in technology and productivity, despite major growth in the U.S. and global economy, Tens of millions of American families continue to lack the basic necessities of life, while millions more struggle every day to provide a minimum standard of living for their families. The reality is that for the last 40 years, the great middle class of this country has been in decline, and our faith in the political system is now extremely low. The rich get much richer. Almost everyone else gets poor. Super PACs funded by billionaires buy elections. Excuse me. Ordinary people don't vote. We have an economic and political crisis in this country. And the same old, same old establishment politics and economics will not effectively address this. 
If we are serious about transforming our country, if we are serious about building the middle class, if we are serious about reinvigorating our democracy, Bernie Sanders says, as he just said the last three minutes here, I'm reading a speech, and I agree, we need to develop a political movement which once again is prepared to take on and defeat a ruling class whose greed is destroying our nation. The billionaire class cannot have it all. Our government belongs to all of us and not just the 1%. Okay. Hello again. This is Paul. That's acting as Bernie Sanders for a minute. Obviously, I want to talk about Bernie Sanders today. And I'm not really, I'm just going to read his one speech when he talks about democratic socialism interspersed with some other things. I'm now 35 years old. Is anyone else 35 listening? Because let me tell you something. It's not much different than 34, 33, or 32. And for people that are 35 and older, I think we kind of understand what it is now. Um, you know, we're all part of this group, us 35-year-olds and older, and we understand each other. We see the youth of this country that is turning to disposability, turning to disposable forms of entertainment, infotainment. <laughs> okay, enough of that rant. Um, yeah, being 35. Oh, do you hear my baby crying in the background? Oh, and there goes mama. Going to get him. Um, anyways, you probably didn't hear that. So, yeah, I'm 35. Uh, don't really feel any different. I actually ran my fastest half marathon time. Um, so that was fun. Um, and, you know, I'm basically half my life sober if I live till 70, which, you know, I have some bad genes. My mom died when I was fifth, when I was what, 53, she was 53, I was 24. So hopefully I can beat 53. Um, but, you know, uh, being 35 puts things into perspective. You look back at those 35 years, which, um, the first year you don't remember, the second year you don't remember, the third year you don't remember, the fourth year you don't remember, the fifth year you don't remember. Maybe you remember it a little bit. Then you get six through 10, you, you vaguely, you have a, some flashes there. Then you got the teens, you remember spots of that. The twenties, you know, those were fun. You remember a lot of that. Um, but do you remember it? Did you drink trucks, truckloads of beer and you, you know, forget some of it? You just had some laughs and now you're halfway through your thirties. Um, most people don't think I'm 30, but they, you know, I'm getting some, I got one or two grays in the beard. My hair is thinning and that's the way it is. Anyways, uh, I want to get back to Bernie Sanders, who I definitely support for president. And let's get back to his speech. So what else does he say? He says, we need to create a culture, which as Pope Francis reminds us, cannot just be based on the worship of money. We must not accept a nation in which billionaires compete as to the size of their super yachts while children in America go hungry and veterans sleep out on the streets. Today in America, we are the wealthiest nation in the history of the world. But few Americans know that because so much of the new income and wealth goes to the top, the people at the top. In fact, over the last 30 years, there's been a massive transfer of wealth, going from the middle class to the top one-tenth of one percent. A handful of people have seen a doubling of the percentage of their wealth they own over that period. Unbelievably and grotesquely, the top one tenth of one percent owns nearly as much wealth as the bottom 90 percent. Today in America, millions of our people are working two or three jobs just to survive. In fact, Americans work longer hours than do 
the people of any industrialized country. Despite the incredibly hard work and long hours of the American middle class, 58% of all new income generated today is going to the top 1%, who I call the people that don't work. That's Paul again, not Bernie Sanders. The people at the top 1% barely work, if they work at all. Today in America, as the middle class continues to disappear, think of Paris Hilton or hedge fund managers or people that just earn their money off of their wealth. They don't really use their brain, muscle, or whatever to produce income. Um, <clears throat> okay, then he talks about how workers are making less than they did even in 1999, like $4,000 less. Or um, than they did 40 years ago, people were making less based on inflation. Today, the middle class. Last year, the female worker earned more than $1,000 less than she did in 2007. Okay. He also says nearly 47 million Americans are living in poverty, and over 20% of our children, including 36% of African-American children, are living in poverty. The highest rate of childhood, childhood poverty of nearly any major country on earth. Um, we still pay more for prescription drugs. We still have a lot more than, you know, close to 30 million people uninsured. You know, you get overwhelmed with these stats, but you know, they're important. Youth unemployment is, and underemployment is over 35%. Meanwhile, we have more people in jail than any other country and countless lives are being destroyed as we spend 80 billion a year locking up fellow Americans. And he made this point in his uh, speech I was watching that even in authoritarian communist China, who has like way more people, I think two or three times more people than the United States, we have more people in jail than authoritarian communist China. The fact is, in 1944, Roosevelt outlined what he called the Second Bill of Rights, which didn't pass. But this is one of the most important speeches ever made by a president but it doesn't get the attention it deserves. In that remarkable speech, Roosevelt stated that, and I quote, we have come to a clear realization of the fact that true individual freedom cannot exist without economic security and independence. Men are not, men are not free men, end of quote. Necessitous men are not free men, is what he says, sorry. End of quote. In other words, real freedom must include economic security. That was Roosevelt's vision 70 years ago. It's Bernie's vision today. In that speech, Roosevelt described the economic rights that he believed every American was entitled to. This is like the four freedoms, which I think uh, the four freedoms were depicted in a Rockefeller, um, some Rockefeller art. The right to a decent job at a decent pay, the right to adequate food and clothing and time off from work, the right for every business, large and small, to function in an atmosphere, atmosphere free from unfair competition and domination by monopolies. The right of all Americans to have a decent home and decent health care. What Roosevelt was stating in 1944 and what MLK was stated in similar terms 20 years later is that true freedom does not occur without economic security. People are not truly free when they are unable to feed their family. People are not truly free when they are unable to retire with dignity. People are not truly free when they are unemployed or underpaid or when they are exhausted by working long hours. People are not truly free when they have no health care. So let me define for you simply and straightforwardly what democratic socialism means to me. 
It builds on what FDR said when he fought for guaranteed economic rights. It builds on what MLK said in 1968 when he said, this country has socialism for the rich and rugged individualism for the poor. It builds on the success of many other countries around the world that have done a far better job than we have in protecting the needs of, their, of uh, working families. The elderly, the children, the sick, and the poor. Democratic socialism means that we must create an economy that works for all, not just the very wealthy. Okay, blah, 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 blah. We need to reform the system, blah, blah, blah. And it's a system, for example, which during the 1990s allowed Wall Street to spend $5 billion in lobbying and campaign contributions to get deregulated. Bad idea. Then 10 years later, after the greed, recklessness, and illegal behavior of, the, of Wall Street led to their collapse, it is a system which provided trillions in government aid to bail them out. And they used their wealth and power to get Congress to do their bidding for deregulation. And then, when their greed caused their collapse, they used their wealth and power. Oh, wait. Did I read that line again? Sorry. Sorry. Okay. To add insult to injury, we were told that not only were the banks too big to fail, the bankers were too big to jail. Kids who got caught pos pos um, possessing marijuana get police records. Wall Street CEOs who helped destroy the economy get raises in their salaries. Again, kids who get caught with weed get police records. CEOs that destroy the economy get raises. This is what MLK said when he said socialism for the rich and rugged individualism for everyone else. Okay. Um, I want you guys to listen to this song. It's a jazz song. It's a John Coltrane with some singer. I forget his name. Um, it's called Lush Life. It's a Billy Strayhorn wrote it. It's a classic jazz song. Uh, great sax playing, real smooth voice. Billy Strayhorn is a Pittsburgh-ish native. He wasn't born in Pittsburgh, but he lived in Pittsburgh and learned how to play music here. Well, I'm not in Pittsburgh now, but... So, uh, listen to this song. Nice sax playing again. Nice singing. Great classic jazz song. Here you go. I used to visit all the very gay places those come what may places Where one relaxes on the axis of the wheel of life To get the feel of life From jazz and cocktails The girls I knew had sad and sullen gray faces With distant K-traces that used to be there, you could see where they'd been washed away by too many through the day. Twelve o'clock tales. Then you came along with your siren song to tempt me to madness. I thought for a while that your poignant smile was tinged with the sadness of a great love for me. Ah, yes, I was wrong again. And only last year 
Everything seemed so sure Now life is awful Again a trough full of hearts Could only be a bore A week in Paris Please the bite of it All I care is to smile in spite of it I'll forget you I will while yet you are still burning inside my brain romance is much stifling those who strive I'll live a lush life in some small dive and While I rot with the rest Of those whose lives are Get your uh, get your nose out of your glass of scotch and stop feeling sorry for yourself. And let's get back to uh, politics and what Bernie Sanders was saying as he was talking about uh, you know democratic socialism. He says uh, 
you know, in my view, it's time that we had democratic socialism for working families, not just Wall Street, billionaires and large corporations. It means that we should not be providing welfare for corporations or huge tax breaks breaks for the very rich or trade policies which boost corporate profits as workers lose their jobs. It means we should create a government that works for that works for all of us, not just powerful special interests. It means that economic rights must be an essential part of what America stands for. It means that healthcare should be a right for all people, not a privilege. You know, let me just stop here because this sounds like, oh, this is just a wish list that like uh, we could never afford this. We absolutely can afford it. There's money there, just a shift in resources. Um, remember what Adam Smith said, labor creates all wealth. Wealth of nations, the guy that invented capitalist theory, Adam Smith, labor creates all wealth. So it's who labors? Certainly not the 1%. This is not a radical idea. It exists in every other major country on earth, not just Denmark, Sweden, or Finland. It exists in, you know, healthcare for all. It exists in Canada, France, Germany, Taiwan. This is why I believe in Medicare for all, a single payer tax health system. Yes, the Affordable Care Act is a good step forward. You know, not bad. But we need to go much further. Medicare for all would not only guarantee health care for all people, not only save middle class families and their entire nation significant sums of money, it would radically improve the lives of Americans and bring about significant improvements in our economy. In our economy. Guess what the number one source of uh, bankruptcy is? Medical debt. Yeah. This could go to the doctor when they... Sh Wait, hold on. Oh, go, go, go. People who get sick will not have to worry about paying deductible or making a co-payment. They could go to the doctor when they should and not end up in the emergency room, where I work, where I see people all the time coming in for things. Business owner that should be treated as outpatient. Business owners will not have to spend enormous amounts of time worrying about how they're going to provide health care for their employees. Workers will not have to be trapped in jobs they do not like simply because their employee employers are offering them de decent health insurance. So, um, he goes on and on. Not the most inspiring speech, but I think, you know, he's hitting points that are important that need to be hit often. Democratic socialism means that in the year 2015, a college degree is equivalent to what a high school degree was 50 years ago. And that public education must allow every person in this country who has the ability, the qualifications, and the desire, the right to go to public colleges or universities, tuition free. It's not a radical idea. It exists today in many countries around the world. In fact, it used to exist in the United States. Um, I think like California up until the 80s. Democratic socialism means that our government does everything it can to create full and a full employment economy. It makes far more sense to put millions of people to work rebuilding our crumbling infrastructure than to have real unemployment at 10%. It is far smarter to invest in jobs and educational opportunities for unemployed young people than to lock them up. See, this is a problem. I'm getting bored reading this. You're getting bored hearing it. But we, we have to get through this, guys. <laughs> we, we have to educate the masses on this. So if you don't know the arguments, you're going to lose at the water cooler. Um, or if, you're, if you are unsure yourself, may wit, 
um, the the uh, the benefits of uh, having a dictatorship of the proletariat and in installing a command style communist economy. <laughs> okay, that's a joke, obviously. Um, okay, so you know we have uh, we don't have strong paid family or medical leave. We need to have that. That's doable. That's what democratic socialism is. It means that we have a government policy which does not allow the greed and profiteering of the fossil fuel industry to destroy our environment and our planet, and that we have a moral responsibility to combat climate change. Um, it means we have a democratic Oh God, I can't keep reading this. I am getting bored with this. Well, here's a song I wrote. Let's just go to that. Um, I'm doing a poor job campaigning for Bernie right now. Um, so I was I've been listening to a lot of U2 sort of recently and playing with delay on my pedal, and then uh, so I recorded this song. It's a minute long ish. Um, before I recorded this song, which took me about 15 minutes to record, I spent an hour and a half recording something else, which had, as always, way too many drums, way too much guitar noodling, a bass line that was annoying, and just too much, too much, too much, too much. So this is actually probably too much as well, but it's a little simpler. So uh, I did the, this is an original drum track, original drums bass, guitars, and all that. So, all right, I call this song One Wrong Note because if you listen to it, there is one wrong note in it. Well, that ended abruptly, and maybe I should continue with that. It's nice, easy listening, smooth jazz-ish, smooth <laughs> instrumental rock. Oh, that's my son screaming. I'm not going to talk about Bernie Sanders anymore, um, but I do want to talk about my motivation behind supporting Bernie Sanders. Do you guys know Mary Alice Malone, or do you know um, the richest person in Pennsylvania? Well, Mary Alice Malone is the daughter of the richest person in Pennsylvania. And who is Mary Alice Malone? So the heiress to the Campbell Soup Company 
is Mary Alice Dorrance Malone. Um, she's the richest person in Pennsylvania and is reportedly worth $3 billion. She lives in Coatesville, PA. Uh, I guess she's like in her 60s. And a couple years ago, one of her maids tried to uh, do some extortion and got in the news and ended up settling, I guess. But um, what does she do? Nothing. She does absolutely nothing. She lives on a giant compound and um, she sits on the board of Campbell's Soup. So that, you know, you show up. I wonder how much work that is. You know, not much. There's an old picture of her with a horse. Now, this woman could be a sweetheart. She could be a lovely woman. She could be a kind mother, friend, confidant, but her existence of, you know, having uh, $3 billion, having an estate, having a child that never has to work and contribute to mankind, other than what does her daughter do? Well, her daughter makes expensive shoes in, in London called Malone Souliers. And how did she get into the shoemaking? Paul, please stop touching that paper. Mary Alice Malone was born and raised, this is from her website, raised in the heart of Pennsylvania countryside, a talented horse rider. <laughs> she was selected to the Junior Olympic equestrian team at an early age. Soon, however, her desire to create, to create grew too loud to her ignore, and she enrolled in art school in Colorado. Now again, this woman might be a nice lady, and uh, all that stuff, but um, she should be rejecting her wealth and arguing for um, a, a better world and saying, like, I'm a child of privilege, and um, it's disgusting how much wealth I have. And that society needs to change, big time. Uh, this, let me read the rest of this, because it's disgusting. Um, engaging in the various processes of furniture design, from welding to carpentry and upholstery, yeah, I'm sure she was slaving away as an upholsterer, working 80 hours a week in some uh, upholstery place trying to make ends meet. No, she wasn't. Mary Alice found her skill in her hands and I, settling into her vocation as a maker. So, I mean, obviously there's a drive to work for this daughter. Um, the other woman just, you know, rides horses. This talent and craftsmanship came to rest in the design of shoes. Whee! And Mary Alice's own interest in this off-fetishized and revered icon of the woman's wardrobe. She honed her craft at Cord Wainers at the London College of Fashion and continued to develop her skills at a number of renowned Atlers? Atlers? Before launching her own label. What word is it? A-T-E-L-I-E-R-S. Paul, do you know what word it is? Do you know? Say something to the microphone. Say something. Oh, I'll just give you a kiss and put you back on the floor. Malone. Okay, so let's see. You go to their website there. You want to buy some shoes? Okay, sure. I'll buy some shoes. Um, You know, my wife's uh, it's Christmas time coming up. Um, I love my wife. I'm going to buy her. Um, you look at these shoes. It's uh, maloonsoulaires.com. Let's... um. Oh, here's an Elsa. Elsa flat, a Dawn. Oh, this is Dawn. This is beautiful. Okay, I'll buy this one. 475 pounds. Too much, Paul. You could get a really nice microphone for that much. I'm not going to get that one. Okay, let's get the budget. Please. Okay, stop doing that. Um, let's see. Ankle boots. Let's do a boots. You know what? I'm going to get her 
There's the Tina, the Doreen, the Mona, the Sherry. $625. I mean, these are kind of stylish, though. I will I will give her credit. They are artistic. But they're almost like something that you would put behind glass and not wear. So, um, anyways. We live in a world where this woman did not earn. She did nothing. $3 billion to have all this money. And what does she do? I mean, maybe she gives it to charity. Who knows? But it, it's besides the point. She shouldn't be influencing policy or charity. She shouldn't be, she has a disproportionate amount, if she is giving it to charity or political groups, which I think I did find out that uh, I researched a while back that, um, of course, they give to uh, Republicans, um, that uh, they're disproportionately influencing politics. It's not democratic. So, Campbell Soup heiress, Mary Alice Dorrance Malone. Oh, she married into it. So, like, I guess her husband died in the 90s and there was a whole thing. You can go online. Oh, hold on a second. Put that down. Oh, good lord. A bunch of paper clips just fell. Hold on. Oh, buddy, okay. Let's put this um, all right. So uh, enough of the Bernie Sanders talk. Enough of this episode. Thank you for listening. We're going to... Um, uh, the end of the year is coming up here. We should have a couple more shows, hopefully. At least one more. And I never did buy that Brad Meldow 10 album disc because I don't have a record player. If anyone wants to tell me the reason for getting a record player, please email me. I, I, I like the idea of getting a record player, but uh, maybe that'll be a Christmas present. I don't know. Can't, can't afford it. Okay. Uh, see you guys later. Bye. on Facebook at facebook.com slash PRC show or follow us on Tumblr at prcshow.tumblr.com. All of these episodes can be found at soundcloud.com slash PRC show. Your host is Paul Robert Cooley Jr. Technological consultant, sound design, host curation, and music production is also by Paul Robert Cooley. Emotional support brought to you by the roommates of Salvador and Kate G. Executive producers Josh Ferris, all labors donated. Thanks for listening.